Rambam, Mishnah Torah. Hilchais, the laws of Malve, Vilova, lenders and borrowers. These are the laws of interest. And as we explained earlier, and I will reiterate again, and actually this is discussed at great length in the Mishnah, as well as the Talmud of Baba Metziah, there's an entire chapter and more dedicated to this. The chapter begins, Ezehu Neshech, the Ezehu Sarbis, defining and explaining the biblically prohibited forms of interest, which in rabbinic language we have described as ribis ktsutsa, pre-designated, stipulated interest, and then there is the rabbinic violations concerning interest, and that is avak ribis, the dust, not soil, but dust, so to speak. The secondary rabbinic violations of interest and all of the laws connected to it, and they are many, and they are complex, and here in this chapter, we're going to be touching upon an important point, which we've already began to touch upon, and that is rabbinic law is very sensitive to the fact that if we lend our fellow produce, for example, you lend someone a truckload of wheat, and you repay the truckload of wheat, and by that time the price has gone up, the price of wheat has gone up by 20%, you have effectively paid 20% interest on that loan. Therefore, our sages have dissuaded people from making those kind of loans. What kind of loans? Produce loans. Rather have it cash-based, rather than produce-based. That's the principle we're going to be speaking about. If anybody has any questions, we have an expert in finance here. You can speak to him later. Okay. Aleph, Kishem, Shemuter, Lameicha. This is chapter 10. Just as it's, pa it's permissible for the seller. Lipsek al shar to give a, to make a sale, take an order based upon a market established price, and we talked about this in earlier chapters. Once the price has come out, this is the market price, you can do a sale, even though the market price will fluctuate, and even though delivery comes later, it's not a problem, that's what we learned earlier. Kachso also, Mutter, it is permissible, Lilva is to make a loan of Hapere's produce, Stam, undefined produce, or paid in Stam, and the repayment will be undefined, without a set time, Al Shar also on the market price, meaning as long as we can connect it to a known market price, that's fine. Ketzad, for example, the price of this commodity was established, the Yodua, and was known, not only was it established, it was known, to both lender and borrower. So I know the price of the commodity, you know the price of the commodity. The price has been posted. The love of Mechavede and Mr. A borrows from Mr. B. SRC in 10 measures. So now Mr. A owes Mr. B 10 measures of wheat. Chayev Lahamzdele, SRC, and he has to return 10 measures of wheat. 
In this case, even though the price of wheat shot up, and by the time he's repaying him a year later, he's paying 30% higher. But the price was known at the time. Shahare, what's the logic here? I just said that we shouldn't do that. No, it's okay because the price was known. Because when he borrowed from him, the price was established. Therefore, the Ilu, Rotsa, had he wanted to, he could have immediately purchased wheat and repay him at the same price. Because there is no set time, set term to this loan. It's not like the loan was initiated at a one-year term. He could have, the, in modern language, there was no prepayment penalty. He could have paid it any time. Therefore, because he could have paid it any time, we're not concerned with the fact that the commodity went up, even a huge percentage. Why? Because the price was known to everyone and there was no set term. That's the logic here. And again, this is discussed, chapter 5, Baba Metziah, at great length and great detail. Furthermore, there's another stipulation here that if the borrower had some of that species, for example, wheat, he had some wheat, that species which he borrowed, the fact that he has some means that he can repay it. This enables him to go a step further and to borrow without a set payment time. And he pays when he can. How is this different than what we just learned? Because in the first paragraph, the price has been established, the market price, and the lender and borrower know it. Here, he's allowed to do it even though the price has not been established in the market because he has some of that produce. Even though he only had one measure and he's borrowing a hundred measures, he can borrow many more than one measure. Because he has some, he can do it. And this is an interesting twist in the law. Just to read from a, a note here, a very interesting explanation as to why having one measure enables him to, buy a, to borrow a hundred measures. What's the logic? So he says the rationale is that he's allowed to borrow the first saw because of the saw. Saw means the measure that he possesses. After he borrowed one saw, because he has one saw, he now has two saw. When you own one saw and you borrow one saw because you're allowed to, because you can always pay it back, how many saw do you now have? Two. You have the one you own and the one you borrowed. So now he can borrow two more. So now he has four. So now he can borrow four more. So now he has eight. So now he can borrow eight more. And this goes on endlessly. Again, the rationale is he can always pay it back with what he has. Therefore, we're not concerned with the law of rabbinic interest. That's the logic here. What if he had one drop of olive oil? That's not a lot, one drop. He had a little drop of wine. 
That's the same logic. Leve oleha, because of that one drop, he can borrow kamagar beyayin v'shem and many jugs of wine and oil. Because he can borrow one drop, because he has one drop. So now he has two. He can borrow two, etc., etc. However, if he did not own any of that species, he didn't own, for example, any wheat or any wine or any oil, whatever the deal is. So that's one area he can't take advantage of this loophole. Or, or the other loophole. The price at the market has not yet been set. The market price has not yet come out. Nobody knows the market price. It's come out, but nobody knows it. It's top secret. Then in that case, because there are no, there are neither of the two scenarios, either he doesn't have the commodity or the price is not known, he may not even borrow one measure against the measure that he has. That is how strict the rabbinic law is. Because we're concerned with interest. The same goes with other produce. Never borrow or lend produce. Rather, transform it, translate it into money. Then it becomes a money obligation. Money doesn't fluctuate. Produce fluctuates. Again, in our world, we know that money does fluctuate, but that's currency trading and so on and so forth. But that's not what he's speaking about here. The rabbinic law was concerned with produce, which fluctuates Terribly. Depends on the season, depends on the day, depends on the market, depends on the supply and the demand and so on. What if he did borrow the produce? He did not follow the rabbinic teaching. He borrowed the produce, did not transform it into money. What if the price goes down? He borrows 100 pounds of wheat. At that point in time, it's worth a dollar a pound, so it's $100. By the time he comes to pay it back, it's worth $60. What does he do? What does he pay back? He pays back 100 pounds a week. So he actually gained, in currency, $40. Okay, now what if the price of wheat shot up? It went from $100 to $140. What do you do now? Here, because of these laws, he has to pay him $100. He can't give him back 100 pounds of wheat because that violates the law. Even though he has wheat, the price was established, but it fluctuated. It is forbidden to borrow produce for produce until a specific time. We're not talking about a short-term in-and-out loan. We're not talking about a bridge loan. Listen, I'm getting my shipment. Lend me 100 pounds tomorrow. I have to make a delivery. We're talking about a loan. He just plain borrows. And he'll be able to pay back without a term. The term is also a big problem. A person should not say to his fellow, to his friend, do me a favor, lend me a kur. A kur is a huge measure of chitim, of wheat. And I promise you I will deliver you the kur to your grain heap. I know you're going to need it. 
around grain heap time, you give me your kur, your huge measure of chitim, I'll deliver you back to your granaries. Not good. Because the price will fluctuate. What he says to him, what he can say, no problem is, do me a favor, I have a delivery to make. Lend me a kur of chitim until my son comes. Because my son has the combination to the granary. Until I find the key, I lost the key. And I have a delivery to make, please. That's a short term, that's a flip loan. That we're not concerned about. We're talking about the long-term loan of produce where we're concerned that the produce might and very well will go up in price. By the way, as we mentioned earlier, this is a massive business today. It's called commodities and it's called futures. And people make and lose a tremendous amount of money in this business. I hope if you do it, you're the one that makes money. What if he borrowed produce until a set time? If the price went down, no problem. You can pay back the produce. But if the price went up, and remember this is a problem because it violates rabbinic law. He gives him money that it was worth at the time of the loan. Hey, five, five out of six. We've learned many times the concept of sharecropping. The idea of a sharecropper is the owner of the field takes a, another person, a farmer, someone who hopefully knows what he's doing, and he says, listen, it's my field, you are the expert. You farm my field. You will go ahead and plant and harvest and plow and do whatever you have to do. And give me a good crop, and I'll give you a share of that crop, a third, a half, a quarter, whatever the deal is. That's called share cropping. Meaning, the guy who works owns nothing. But the other fellow who owns the land gives him an opportunity to invest labor and to make money. What does the guy with the land contribute? The land. That's the concept of sharecropping. And we've learned many times there is no problem with that concept under most circumstances. The problem is that most sharecroppers were poor. Most sharecroppers, they had talent, but they had no money. So the landowner can lend his sharecropper wheat. He needs wheat for seeds, seed, wheat seeds. I guess wheat seeds is wheat. He needs to borrow wheat, so the owner lends him wheat, bechitim, in order to plant, lezera, for planting. I'll lend you wheat, you'll pay me back wheat at the crop, at the harvest, so that I, Mr. Sharecropper, will be able to plant, and we'll both have. This may be done, even though it's lending produce, which rabbinically is, is, is prohibited. This can be done whether before the sharecropper actually signed and closed the deal, meaning he went down into the field, before he went down into the field, or 
even after he was already down in the field. He can lend him wheat to plant. When does this apply? When does this law apply in a place where the culture is that the sharecropper has to come up with the seed? And this sharecropper is a shlamazel. He doesn't have any seed. So the landowner will lend him seed. Because, and this is the rationale, the landowner could remove the sharecropper anytime he wants to because he hasn't met the contract requirements, because he doesn't have seed. So the contract is null and void. What good is a sharecropper without seed? But in a culture where the landowner supplies the seed, then it's a whole different ballgame. Then what is he lending it to him for? If the sharecropper did not get go down into the field, and again, it's the culture where the landowner is supposed to supply the seed, and for some reason the sharecropper wants to borrow seed, it is permissible to lend week for week. Why? Because he can still terminate the agreement. So at the time that he went down into the field, he went down, that he will be able to return the wheat that he lent him. Once he's in the field, being at that point in time, he's in the contract, he can't just willingly Terminated at will, is like any other person, where we learn that it's forbidden. It is forbidden to lend them wheat, to be repaid by wheat, even for planting. But there's no reason he can't lend him wheat based on the definition of the price in the market, Vov, the closing paragraph of this chapter 6. Here the plot thickens for sure. Mr. A was demanding the proceeds of his loan back from Mr. B. He says, I lent you $1,000. I need my $1,000, and I need it now. As they say in Russian, give me the money. Right? We have a Russian expert here. Give me my money. I need my money to buy wheat. So he says, give me the money. Show me the money. Omar Lai says to him, listen, take it easy. Take a deep breath. Not good for your heart. You go out. You need wheat. Go out. Buy wheat. Let's market at the market price today, and it'll be my obligation. I'll owe the wheat. So you'll have wheat. I owe you $1,000. Go get $1,000 of wheat at today's price, and I'll repay. Not a problem. So now my debt has been transformed from a money debt to a wheat debt. And remember, we learned there's a lot of problems with the commodity debt in rabbinic law. So, if the guy has wheat sitting, he just doesn't want to use it as much as the money. If he has $1,000 of wheat sitting before he borrows that $1,000 of wheat, 
mutter, then it's fine, because at any time, he has the option, he can repay him. So week for week. And there's no term in the middle for the price to go up. But if the borrower does not have $1,000 worth of wheat, it is forbidden to do this deal. Why? One can argue, but we know the price in the market. The price in the market doesn't help you in this case. Our sages did not say that it's permissible to attach it to a known market price. Even though he owns nothing of that species. Only if he gave his money. A person can give his money to buy produce if the market price has been established. But this is a very different scenario. This guy is paying with a debt. This guy owes Mr. A, owes Mr. B $1,000. Now the $1,000 debt is going to become $1,000 of wheat debt. He wants to transform his money debt to a wheat debt. The fact that the price is established doesn't mean anything. Also, it's forbidden. Unless he has the wheat, he just doesn't want to use it for some reason. What if the borrower had wheat? And he transformed his $1,000 debt to $1,000 of wheat. And we said that's okay because he had wheat somewhere else. Time went by and he said to him, Ten lichitim, give me my wheat. You owed me $1,000 of wheat as of March 9th. Because I need to sell that wheat. Why? What's the emergency? And I now need to buy wine. I got an order for wine. I have no money to buy wine. But if you're going to give me back the wheat you owe me, I'm going to sell the wheat and I'm going to buy wine. And I'll make a living. I think it's easy to make a living. That's fine. Go out, get the thousand dollars of wine on my credit, and it's my debt. Today's price, $1,000 of wine. Same problem. Is he allowed to do that? What if the, why, the price of wine fluctuates, which it probably will, and it might go up? If he has wine, then it's permissible. The fact that he has wine means he can repay it today if he wants to. And he, it becomes a wine debt. We learned earlier how to deal with a wine debt. But if he doesn't have Asur, it is forbidden. What if he didn't have wine? And he transgressed the law. He didn't listen to the rabbinic law. What else is known? And he returned the loan of the produce. Even though he, brought, he bought other produce. And the is not obligated to give produce. As we learned earlier, is obligated to give the money because the produce loan is a forbidden loan in rabbinic law. End of chapter 10.